Welcome to the CopyPress Content Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Snyder, founder and CEO of CopyPress. Join me as I discuss content marketing with experts and some of the brightest minds in content marketing and SEO. Discover what it takes to get your content noticed and stay ahead of changes in content marketing, SEO, and online marketing. Welcome to the CopyPress Content Marketing Podcast. So yeah, today we're going to really focus in on mostly the Google helpful content. You know, the title is also says we're going to go into some core update stuff, but the reality right now, I mean, with the core update, like people are still sifting through the September core update. I think it's also hard right now to isolate what happened in the September core update alone because there was three updates along with the helpful content update that happened. But I mean, we're going to touch on that. The real meat and potatoes today is going to be the Google helpful content update. Also, what that means from the perspective of creating content for SEO now and in the future as well. I think that's the most important thing is like, where is Google going in this? So first thing to talk about is what the helpful content update was. You know, Jeremy, you want to take us through the steps of of this, like who launched it and whatnot? Yeah, I think it's useful to look at it from the perspective of, you know, what comes out from Google about this, because there's always an echo chamber in SEO. So looking at your sources, this was published and we were told beforehand, which was unusual. So it's not like a a usual core update. It was something they pushed, did a press release push. They put out special bulletins and Danny Sullivan and John Mew did specific work talking about this. And it's coming out from the spam team. It was published by Chris Nelson of the search quality team, aka spam team. So that kind of gives us a useful context about how they expect this particular update to help the ecosystem. It's cleaning up. So the first update is that they're seeing some of the complaints that people are having, that there are query spaces out there where despite the fact that there's 10 sorted results, there isn't anything that's actually answering the question. And they're trying to address that with an algorithm adjustment, a new process. And what's interesting about it or what really stands out about it is that it's actually a a quote-unquote site-wide signal. So it means that in addition to all of the things they take into account for links, the, t- the, the speed that your site loads at, they're adding a new signal that they can use to in conjunction with other pieces of their algorithm to determine was, whether this content is helpful or not. And so there's a lot of really big questions about that, particularly around the terminology that they chose to use, saying, was this content just created to rank? And, you know, there's a little alarm bell that goes off in my head. I'm like, Wait, that, that's, that's all I do as an SEO. I create content to rank. So what is the actual, you know, implications of that? Do, do they not want SEOs to exist or how, how do they mean that? So content created primarily for search engine traffic is strongly correlated with content that users find unsatisfying. I personally disagree in certain ways, but we want to understand why did they say that? What are they talking about these new site-wide signals? So can can these sites be, is there some you know, change what's, how does this signal get used? How does it get calculated? It's a site-wide signal, which is different because it's not like 
a single page that's getting sandbagged or even necessarily a section of the site. It's something that Google is able to place as a qualifier, a quantifier, and potentially put the brakes on multiple pages across the site, slowing you down is the way they described it. So going back, I think some things to really discuss that are interesting from my perspective is one, the timing of the release of information, right? I think that is something that has to be looked at. And part of the reason people got so like really invested in this update was because it was what released two weeks, like the announcement was released two weeks before the actual rollout, right? Absolutely. Um, Which was historically odd. I I still don't think we know exactly why we can all speculate on, on the whys that that happened. But I think something you said was interesting, like based on their general feedback, it almost felt like they were saying content for SEO purposes, right? We're, we're looking to devalue this. I think, you know, if there's people on this webinar that are early to SEO, you, you need to understand in the general scheme of Google's business model, SEO isn't really something they're excited about, right? Like a, as a feature <laughs> to like to, for their product, right? Like it goes against how they make money as a company. And so there have been things where very obviously in the history of Google, they've used FUD as an example, like fear and doubt and uncertainty to steer the SEO groups in a certain direction, right? We saw that with Panda. We saw it with Penguin. Don't forget mobile apocalypse. Yeah. Remember the first right. time we said, yes. oh, oh my gosh, there's these well, five writers of apocalypse. Google, and then we had core web vitals type of stuff as well. And search yeah. speed being the next big thing that was going to happen. And so I think for me, what's been interesting about the helpful content update is not the actual update itself, because, you know, as we'll go into still kind of mixed results, but it is what is Google trying to do? Where are they going in the future? And that's what I think this really, we take it down as is like, you know, Google had that two week announcement. Why? Right. What were they trying to achieve there? What are they trying to achieve through their messaging? And also we'll talk about it later. What's happening in the market right now that is impacting content and helpfulness and whatnot. Right. And so I think, I think this is very much a, an issue where, you know, we every, a lot of people were saying we were overplaying the helpful content update, and it was like this wasn't going to be that big of a deal. I, I don't think that was ever the issue. The issue is like there are clear times when Google is signaling things that I think mm-hmm. we should take in the information and figure out well, how does that affect our strategy long term. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like, let's talk about the the site wide ranking signal and, and what you're going to talk about in terms of AI generated content. Yeah. So when it comes, I, I think the writing on the wall. If you're looking at the industry, <laughs> niche bros are propping up on Twitter and being like, oh, hey, I generated, you know, 40,000 pages of AI generated content. And, you know, there's this idea because, because the technology has made several leaps in the past year in terms of tools. There's Jarvis. There's public tools out there that are aimed at marketers in general hey, we can help you write you know, content, just type in a word and we'll make a whole article for you. So there was writing on the wall in April 1st, 2022, John Mew was asked specifically, how does Google react to hosting AI written content? And you know, there's a, a whole quote here, but he's basically saying, you know, if you're using machine learning tools, you're shuffling words around, looking for synonyms, 
it's the same as content spinning in 2006. Uh, anyone that remembers that time, you could take a block of text and it would replace this word with that and that word with this, and you could copy and paste technically the same blurb into you know another different state page. You know, you'd have Texas and California. You have the same content, but you'd spin it around in hopes that Google wouldn't notice that it's really the same thing. So it's kind of that next step up of Google realizing, you know, there's a, a marketplace of tools that's promoting, you know, higher amounts and volumes of content getting created, as well as, you know, programmatic created databases of, of content being slapped and pushed and pulled together into these Frankenstein type sites just to rank. So the writing on the wall was there. Yes, we do consider that spam and we will act against, you know, spam that is created automatically, whether it's AI written or, or human written. So that was kind of the foreshadowing. Yeah. So on that note, can they, right, can they actually spot AI content at scale? Before we get into the aggregation mm -hmm. piece, right? Right. Because that's, you know, they, yeah. they launched that statement. And immediately I was like, well, you know, Google's not going to be able to, if Google's able to determine AI content, does this statement even come out? Right. right. Like you've seen the FUD over the last five to six years around link building specifically die down. Why? Because they've gotten extraordinarily good at understanding what paid and spam links are. Right. And so like from your perspective, like I think to a degree, really poor content, right? They could just sniff out mm -hmm. bad content. They've been able to do that since Panda. Right. But like, do you think this is something they actually have a hold on to where SEO should be like, oh, AI written content? You know, is this like, you know, something we need to be like, everyone's got to stop using their AI tools? <laughs> I, I think I think it is. There were a couple of examples. Partland put up a, a tweet and he did a GPT-3 analysis and he just added a squirrel emoji and it didn't recognize it as the same text. So his was, well, it can't detect it if you add a squirrel. At the same time, there are other figures in the industry who are pointing out, you know what, for certain methodologies of creating AI content, there is a fingerprint. You know, there is a certain amount of repetition that comes out of a machine learned content generated piece that is you know detectable to yeah. they can sniff it out to a certain degree now whether or not those are hardcore baked into the algorithm to detect and you know shut it down that's that was the big question before the rollout came like are we going to see google swat down big swaths of content that don't that look like decent content but Google has somehow noticed that it's, you know, machine generated or how is this going to roll out? And that was the big question mark for me is like, is this truly, you know, because in the rollout, in the discussion of helpful content, AI content did come up in a large degree, but it's not the only angle that they're taking. So part of the writing on the wall is, you know, low quality content, AI generated or not. I think that's because it is specifically stated as a machine learning algorithm, they're using machine learning to, to as part of helpful content. So there's kind of this ironic, you know, fighting fire with fire, you know, like, well, you're using AI generated tools, we're using AI to detect that. And so it's, 
it's not while we do have this specific statement of you know abusing the algorithm with automatically generate content doesn't necessarily mean abandon all hope who yeah, I mean here. I think the way I would look at tell SEOs in general I mean again I'm going back to what Google wants Google doesn't like you optimizing your website period like from the concept of making it easier for them to categorize the content and display it yes but once you're once you're manipulating rankings like quote unquote manipulating rankings right can mean anything like actively going out and doing clean white hat link building is manipulating rankings but i think this is similar to link building in the sense that volume is where you're really going to get in trouble and where they can start figuring things out right so like if you're creating five pieces of content from an ai generator you're you're in way less of a concern than if you created 20,000 pages because i think there's some level of how much they're having to crawl for your website and then you said the fingerprint thing is huge right because in order to generate the AI content, you have to create training models. Yeah. And so that fingerprint's gonna come out and you're gonna be able to see that fingerprint across a larger volume than you would on a small volume. So I think it, this is a thing where I've got lots of ideas on AI. I think it's a great tool, but not a great end game. And I think again, volume is really where you'll end at. But while Jeremy goes on to the next thing, a poll question is, have you experimented with AI generated content for SEO purposes. I'm just really interested to, to know like, what does that look like? And, you know, it can be purely AI generated content or, you know, things where you're just using an AI tool to experiment. So Jeremy, let's talk about the aggregation problem. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time as AI is starting to be used, there's people coming out saying, I, I wrote X thousand number of pages. There's also these huge database approaches, programmatic SEO, which isn't always problematic, but it's how it's implemented. And this is, you know, you can see it in a lot of niches, lyrics and other spaces where there's a finite amount of unique information and it's just aggregated again, you know, together and doesn't really you know, serve any true purpose. You know, it just is, it exists to rank, you know, you're gathering all of the, the zip codes, you know, for, for mailing regions and you're building a site that just lists, you know, here's the zip code for this city and zip code for this city. And it's, you know, kind of helpful. It's technically a query that's out there and there's search volume for it. But, you know, as more and more people try to do this process of, aggregating data together to instead of creating unique authoritative content with a unique view, you start getting these weird SERP results, right? Where like looking for a vacuum cleaner, nobody has actually, you're just getting the same description product description in these reviews aggregated four or five times. And you're not seeing anything, any new perspective. You're not seeing anybody who's touched the vacuum that can give you a real valid opinion. So you've got 10, you know, 12, 15 review sites that are saying the exact same thing. It's not a helpful result. Right. So here's a couple of examples. So this one was uh, famous birthdays. You know, so you can see even in their own format for Bill Skarsgård, they don't have a picture of him. And they've got all of these, you know, boxes and widgets populating data from a database and slapping ads on it. And then this one was funny as they they pulled 
all of the PDFs of all of these manuals and then uploaded them into a WordPress site and slapped a ton of, ton of loading ads on it again and again. And so when the actual rollout came, because I, I did a lot of research on this before it came out, you know, trying to understand what are they saying, following every comment, but what happens when it actually hits? So these are the best examples that I could pull that kind of show, you know, as of that release date, the curve down, you know, is it, did they drop off the, the face of the planet? Was it immediate de-indexation? It's really a stepping on the brakes for the entire thing, which is fascinating because, you know, they didn't, they're not adding this to Google search console. So your, you know, helpful content score doesn't show up. You know, if you're hit by this particular thing, it's back to the good old days of Penguin. You know, we, some of the newer SEOs, people who are, have been doing SEO for the past couple of years in the building links might not have noticed that Google had removed a penalty based spam existence, you know, for a long time from 2000, you know, even pre 2000s, Google always had like ban, ban hammer, you know, aside from like a manual, there was real algorithmic trouble you could get into for doing X, Y, or Z with links or with content with Panda. And we kind of stepped away from those glory days of penalties. But if you fall afoul of the helpful content, the breaks do get put across the site and you you there isn't a flag thrown it's not a manual penalty so you could just start losing organic visibility well and uh, so here's the other issues right like one is the only time i think we will know whether helpful content was actually a part of the mix was the first rollout yeah and going forward it's gonna be a part of core update changes if they mm -hmm. change the flavor of it so the only time you could tell whether you actually like definitively got it they made a core update several weeks later, which now makes it inherently more difficult for you to figure out why you're losing traffic. And again, there's no GSC flag to tell you this is the reason why, right? Yeah. So they've made it pretty hard. But I, I do feel like, look, for 90% of publishers, from the stuff we've looked at, I would say if you saw losses during that time, it's probably not helpful content unless you're faith, unless you guys were doing really large scale content aggregation or had a lot of thin content on the website. I, I don't think this was affecting sites on like a one-off kind of basis on, and we didn't find any examples of even, even low quality articles. It was all pages that were like, Hey, these should not exist on the internet <laughs> at all. Right. Yeah. Th there wasn't anything where I was like, Hmm, I, I don't think that that should have been penalized. Like if you look at these examples there, and I think this is what they're speaking to. It's made for SEO in that it's only ad monetization. It's, it's almost right, yeah. like a one-to-one -one correlation. I hadn't seen one specific example where it wasn't ad monetized or there was some other type of business model laid on top of it. Yeah. You know, like the Bill Skarsgård, the all famous birthdays, the lyrics sites, the manual site, like all of them, they kind of, there were even some where they weren't as blatant as this. They weren't going after, oh, this specific niche of birthdays or this specific niche of manuals, but they seem to have taken all of the the question and answers around doing, you know, brushing your teeth and teeth care, 
in just answering the people also ask queries just for the sake of answering the people also ask queries as basically as possible so they could slap ads on. So I think that's that's the answer to what did they mean by you know content that's just meant to rank or you know thinking only about the search engines. I think that this is pretty clear now that we have some penalties in it to to look at. I think that's what they were talking about is if you're exclusive domain, your exclusive intent is to put up a database of aggregated content or AI generated content just to show up in the rankings, just to get people there and get those ad impressions and handful of clicks to collect your dollars. That's who this this iteration was right. was targeted at. That's the, and that's the core, right? Is this iteration. That's, I'm, yes. I'm a believer the flavor on this thing is going to change over time. And they probably rolled it out at its most like benign, right? Yeah. Where they knew it was just going to affect a small sliver of the internet. And now people that also lost rankings or traffic during that time. Another thing that people, SEOs, I think really lose sight of is the internet being a living and breathing information architecture mm -hmm. that whatever's happening over here that might link to your site is then going to impact you. So even two degrees of separation of that's going to affect how your site's performing as well. Right. So I think you just get into this toxic thing of like, well, what's wrong with my website? No, there's changes happening. It's why so many SEOs that have been around a long time are always like, hey, wait two weeks, wait a month, wait to see how this gets pulled back as well, because it may not be you. It may be something tangentially related to what you're doing as well. Yeah, and this is this is important too. What Danny Sullivan is saying in this particular tweet, because it's about applying penalties and how do you get out? You know, like are you are you if you just remove, you know, you know that you have really thin aggregated content or you've put up AI generated stuff and you see that breaking happening. Okay, well I got caught or burnt. Well, what they're saying here is that it's going to take a little bit of time for it, you to be released from jail because they want to make sure that your good behavior is confirmed, that the classification yeah. will no longer apply. There was another, another aspect to it that synced up with what you were saying, that if they see another iteration of what's unhelpful content, then that can also be released because it is machine learning. And, you know, I think we're going to see with the updates that roll out, you know, more updates and possibly taking down as a spam fighting tool, different sections and problems that they are classifying. This is unhelpful. This isn't good content. Yeah. I mean, on another note, too, I think we've talked about this. My perception of the helpful content signal, the way I've been thinking about it is similar to an anchor text filter, right? So mm -hmm. like there's this, there's this percentage point where if you have optimized anchor text pointing to a page, if it trips above a certain percentage that becomes unnatural, right. you can see that page get de-indexed, right? And if you, I mean, I've done it before, you pull the, the keywords back, it pops right back in, you know? Right. And so I, I believe that with helpful content, it's probably some kind of percentage mechanism where it's mm -hmm. like, hey, what percentage of the total content is problematic, right? Because they're, they're labeling it on a page level, but then bringing the signal on the site level. Right. So you would imagine by if you were going through an iteration of just paring down your content, like I don't think it needs to be a clean sweep potentially because there are 
actual business models build around aggregate content that I mm-hmm. think they need to have a plan in place. They can't just destroy their business model today, right. but no. they need to have a plan in place for like, oh, okay, how do we approach this long term? And part of that might just be, hey, we're going to no index a bunch of this stuff and see if we pop back in if it hits you. Yeah. I, and I think that that's important too is, you know, like it's, it's Sullivan said specifically, yeah, the more, the bigger the, the section that's impacted, the larger the impact that this signal is going to have on breaking your traffic, on, on slowing down that traffic organically as far as how it applies that penalty, as well as, you know, re- you reduce that and you're released from, from that mechanism as well. Before we move on, results from the polls. Have you experimented with it with AI-generated content for SEO purposes? 28% of people said yes, 153 respondents, and then 388 people said no. So I think that doesn't surprise me. I think for a lot of us, we're still not sure how to utilize that AI-generated content in a way where we feel maybe comfortable and confident with it. Like what is going to come out of here? Again, this isn't a new concept. Like you said, we had article spinners forever, <laughs> right? It's just what gets created and the confidence behind it. The other poll was almost a 50-50. Did you see potential impacts from the HCU or September update on any sites you work on? 45% said yes. 55% said no. Again, I think the problem for people that think they saw a change there is, well, what was it? <laughs> because there were so many things that happened sequentially, it's hard to, to pin it down. So I think that's you know the point of this webinar is, at least from w- what we've seen, I think a majority of you would be looking at, if you saw definitive changes, more September core update changes, most likely than helpful content update changes. Yeah, you can go back to that specific date that it's released and see, and then look at what are these earmarks, you know, for over aggregated content or answer content that's not helpful, you know, those determinations. The September update is interesting in its impacts. You know, there's there's the losers, which surprisingly, YouTube lost a lot of ground in the cumulative bucket, meaning Google is looking at the intent behind these snippets tent behind their results and changing things. Like you also saw news sites use lose cumulatively a lot of ground because they realized, you know what, the intent for some of these queries, you know, it doesn't fit for us to have as many news articles as we had. Yeah, do then, we have any data from anyone you've seen that has shared like SERP makeup changes during that time frame? You know what I mean? Like are we seeing as many video boxes on a page, news boxes on a page? Not not anything that granular. Amsiv Digital and Lily Lily Ray have have the most thorough. Marie Haynes did uh, two different podcasts on the September impact and kind of sussing out some of those details. The thing she was pointing out was that trust seems to be more important now. There was a ton of government sites that gained visibility as you know people want to be able to trust these results more, particularly for health and wellness queries, you know, and we'd, we'd seen that before in the medic update, you know, where if you're creating low quality content like healthline.com was versus Dr. Axe, who was creating technically, you know, really well-written stuff, but it wasn't from an authoritative source, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at at copy press is how do we, you know, 
make our content more authoritative, make it sure that it's helpful. Because if you think about the model of AI generation, about, about aggregation, there is kind of this repetition factor and it's not unique and it's not authoritative. And it's just taking up space in the SERPs when people really want something new. They want something that answers their query that helps them with their intent. You know, why did they do that search? What are they looking for? And so that's kind of where we kind of pivot from what we've seen out of the helpful content side to how do you apply that to your strategy? How do you apply that to the data that you're looking for? I think that real satisfying content comes from expertise. You know, like just looking, there's this tendency of SEOs to want to get a tool to do everything for you. But just finding the list of featured snippets and just, you know, spinning that or rewriting that block isn't the full gamut. It's not everything you need to do. It, there is value in looking at featured snippets and people also ask, I think in like a really big picture sort of way, like looking at what are, how is this, this SERP being answered, you know, step out of your tool for a moment and go do that Google search and see what are, how is this question being answered by these other results, these other pages and, you know, actually crafting a better answer by using expertise, you know, hiring yeah. somebody who has actually worked with a vacuum cleaner, you know, or is taking the thing apart, get a software expert to actually write your, your PCB articles, you know, because they're going to know details and how to speak to the problems that your people are facing in a way that's going to create excellent content. You know, it's a yeah. much better answer than just repeating the manufacturer's description or aggregating snippets from here and there. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality with, with rich snippets, like featured snippets, a lot of them are definitive, right? Or just uh, data-based information. Yeah, that's their definition. So, Some of them are definition. Right. And so like the idea, the thing that's funny to me is that those are scalable for an AI to reproduce, right? Like it's this content format that AI can actually do that. And so where, again, I try to think about where, well, where is Google going to go long-term to break that cycle potentially? And that's where things like having expertise on the page, like who is answering this question and is there a new idea, right? Because what AI can't create is new concepts and new ideas. Like, is there fresh ideas added to this as well? And so I, I really think that will be a change we see over the next two to three years is seeing more high quality authoritativeness ending up in those featured snippet areas. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's part of the responsibilities of, of an, a good SEO, not to rely only on SEO data, but to go offline and, you know, talk to the person that's actually selling this product, selling this service, selling this software and, you know, get the pain points. Why are, why is somebody doing a Google search for this? You know, why, when they're trying to find you, what are the problems they're trying to overcome? And you can do it in, in three different levels, you know, like on a product level for itself. You can also do it in comparison to a competitor. Like if you've got, you know, this PCB software and this other PCB software, why would somebody who has this be looking for a, a solution 
you know, what does it not do? Oh, it doesn't have layered technology or it doesn't have, doesn't connect to a server in this particular way. That's not going to come up. I guarantee you that doesn't come up in AHRUS. That doesn't come up in SEMrush. Those connections aren't there. The, what you see in SEMrush is, is flattened data, aggregated, and pulled. You know, the volume data is, is filtered by Google on, on the front side. They try to fix that with some clickstream data, but it's not going to show you those dynamic connections between these concepts that makes content more valuable and helps with the conversion process. You want to, to remember that your the point of the site isn't just to get people there, it's to reduce the friction to your end business goal, whether that's buying a product, whether that's signing up for a service, signing up for software as a service, figuring out what are those friction points that are making people have to contact support or talk to a salesperson before they give the business money. So your content strategy can't exist only within SEO data and you need to, you know, apply expertise and, you know, a, there is value in in understanding your keywords and kind of grouping them, but it doesn't stop there. You need to layer on that second piece. You need to do your keyword research first, look for patterns and, and groupings of keywords. We're doing a lot of machine learning type things over at CopyPress, doing some exciting things, trying to see in both in the people also ask box and featured snippets, how those interrelate, as well as finding out what keywords are, are relevant to each other. But you also need to, you know, take those pain point information and come up with a list of, okay, from this per middle perspective, what are the headlines that we're missing? What are the content pieces that we're missing that that isn't reflected in this keyword data and it doesn't isn't reflected in our inventory, which you should do if you're worried at all about helpful content or any algorithm update, you should go and inventory your content. If you're a large site, should be do it, you should do it by category, but you should be looking for whether that content provides a satisfactory answer. Does it this content rank for any featured snippets at all? What are the people also ask? boxes showing when you go to that query like if you sell a, you know if you're selling PCB software and you do that query what are those people also ask boxes showing as questions and does your content address that or any of those you know there's lots of really great ways to surface what do i need to write what content do i need to create to be effective in the market all right so this is just some things i wanted to put together in terms of ideas and strategic takeaways that I think marketers can can really take from this conversation and just going forward with helpful content and like, I think optimizing your content overall. I'm gonna launch one more poll in terms of, I'm asking who's displayed an author on your content. So what I'm asking here is, do you have bylines on your content where there's a very specific author? Maybe you're using, specifically schema, the author schema as well, not just a written by website kind of thing. So we'll launch that. So yeah, much of the focus for marketers has been on what to do next. We should be thinking about how we can improve existing content in the same way that we're approaching new editorial. I feel like a lot of the conversation around helpful content, content in general, and AI has been right. Like we saw, we heard people on helpful, pre-helpful content that two week span, just deleting stuff off their website in like anticipation <laughs> of it. And then people think, well, should, what kind of content should I do going forward? And 
I think the real big opportunity a lot of SEOs miss, and it happens too on when link building stuff comes up, is what about the stuff you already have? Like, what are you doing with the library of content that the website already has that's already been hit? And how do you manage that? So key things that I would start doing moving forward, whether you've had a penalty or haven't, or you've seen a move from one of these updates, I think these are just a good 2023 content strategy. First, build a system that helps you find your lowest performing content. That is not going to be based on singular rankings, right? It's 2022. We can get away from singular ranking data from a vanity perspective. Like, I think what you want to look at is which articles are making up the lower percentage of your traffic driving pages on a website. At scale, what is your old content missing that competition has? So, once you've isolated those lowest performing pieces, the question has to be asked, you know, are, are these co competitors doing something in their content that I am not doing, right? You want to look beyond just the content, look at the schema. Is there anything that they're like, are they using bylines with an author? You know, are they using better H tags that uh, answer the questions that rich snippets would want? Like those are all the, the tactical pieces. But the reality too is, you know, I've seen some people in the Q&A be like, well, during the update, we have the same kind of content as our competitor but our stuff went down and our competitors did it. And I'll tell you what, branding is a bitch when it comes to Google. Like if you have a brand in Google's eyes, you can get away with a lot more than somebody who doesn't have a brand, right? What does brand means? It means traditionally links back to the website, but just overall citations and mentions of your brand online. So that's something else to keep in, in mind. Create an opportunity sizing model use thir using third-party data to get an idea of what the lowest hanging fruit for your underperforming content is. Meaning, like, for this content that isn't producing, what is the overall traffic I could gain by optimizing it? Like, you might find that one-third of your lowest-performing pages aren't worth doing anything to. Because there isn't the volumes there that you thought, right? You might go into your GSC data for a low performing page because it's not getting traffic and also realize, oh, wait, we're averaging in the top 10 and our CTR is 2%. We're still not getting traffic. This is a dud term period, right? Because we're all basing our content decisions on third-party data that we're hoping has the correct volumes. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. So I think just from an ROI perspective and being meticulous about spend and where you put your resources, you want to say, is there an actual opportunity for this low performing content? Then you can use tools like Content Harmony to quickly assess SEO deficiencies in your existing content, build meaningful briefs, optimize them. And my biggest takeaway is going to be to leverage subject matter experts. If nothing else, you'll see this on a lot of medical sites now. They have like fact checkers, right? So they'll have an author and a fact checker. They'll be putting that stuff in the schema so that way people know who fact checked this article. I think just even if you can just do interviews with someone and put quotes into the article, right? Mm -hmm. Anything you can do to inject some kind of expertise into content at scale will have a huge impact, not just on SEO. I think about it for my own personal internet use. If I hit an article that I do not see who the author is, I do not put much weight into said article, right? It's a completely different experience for me. And I understand I'm a savvy internet user and maybe not the typical, but I think with the focus around the world now on content that might be 
not truthful, <laughs> right? Like people are more and more going to wonder where did this content come from? So I think injecting the expertise and getting real people to answer real questions inside of content is a new optimization strategy that people have to undertake. And people have been doing this for a while. But again, going back to your old content, that thing that you wrote six years ago, mm-hmm. that may be getting good traffic, may not. Like, what are the opportunities that exist today rather than, all right, well, we just got dinged off of the September update. Let's start rolling out a new content strategy and like building more content. Like, what do you already have sitting there that you can optimize? Yeah, you know, think about going back to your articles and looking for opportunities to add FAQs and not just, you know, also marking them up in schema markup because you do have that benefit of that little drop down that shows, you know, at least two additional items if you add that frequently asked questions rich snippet. So you can win extra traffic and that's recorded in Google Search Console. So you take the time to add FAQs, they're marked up in schema. You can track Google picking up those signals and knowing that, okay, well, I've covered that. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't also work that frequently asked question content into the paragraph text itself or not address it or just be like, okay, here's our page and it's full of FAQs, like 50 FAQs. It shouldn't be that way, but it is useful to remember that that when it comes to featured snippets, Google is using and asking, is this specific query answered in multiple types? They use that term in, in in the patent technology, the descriptions that Bill Slosky did before he passed, he he looked at and said, these are the ranking signals that they use. And one of the things that they, they're looking for, you know, a header, they want a concise 50 to 60 word, unbiased, non-rambling, you know, they don't want a description of your trip to Venice, you know, to describe this SEO concept that they need a small displayable blurb. But they also want to see is that, is there supporting information? Is there you know, bulleted lists, is there an FAQ block you can add to that H2? Is there a tabular data, which also gives you another unique SERP? If you have done any travel, you might notice an expanded SERP where there's little extra pieces of information. That comes from tabular data. So tables are back, baby. Think about all of those extra things you can do to expand the quality and types of answers you're providing to these, because that's more helpful. Think about it. So now we are on to the Q&A portion of the webinar. All right. So does HCU penalty immediately de-index your whole site? As far as I can tell, so we, we again, the we have one clean data point and it's not an immediate de-indexation. You don't disappear right away. It's been described more as a breaking effect, a a stepping on of the brakes and you'll lose visibility for terms that you are currently ranking for. Of course, if you're not really ranking for very much yet, then you're already stopped. (laughs) But as far as everything that I've seen, it's not an instant site-wide de-indexation, but it's a, the more, more unhelpful content you have, the larger that impact is, the larger that signal is for them to put the brakes on your site. 
And Dave, I know you've, you know, kind of been watching the Q&A too. So if there's anything, you know, in there that you want to get to, please. Let's see. Rob asked a question, is helpful content update a way for Google to limit AI generated content? Do you think? I mean, they would, they would want it to, I think, Hey, this goes back to the, can they spot it scenario, right? You know, Google in that April comment that Jeremy brought up from John Mew made it very clear that AI content is on par with them of any other spam related content creation methodology. So you would think theoretically helpful content would potentially long-term be able to battle that. But in order for that to be true, I think they need to be able to recognize it at scale. And I have my doubts about whether they can do that. Jeremy? I think they certainly are firing the cannon over the bow of mass writing AI content and making their position clear. I don't think from what we've seen, the iteration that we've seen is more addressing mass aggregation for the intent of just ranking and getting getting your money and getting out, you know, getting your getting tons of ad money to these queries, machine writing or aggregating content together and Frankenstein Frankensteining a site together just to rank to get that traffic seems to be what's been hit. But the writing is on the wall that they are aware and you know, I don't think that Jarvis is going to shut down today. Because because of that, there was a little bit of fear in the market of, around it, but I, I don't think it's going away today. So question from Randy, he asks, I work in a narrow reseller market. Manufacturers provide the content to many of the resellers. How is this going to affect us? Yeah, I mean, this is a bit an ongoing issue, I think. Other retailers have the issue too. If you're if you're selling a brand, not only are you getting manufacturer descriptions, but Amazon probably has that manufacturer description. Now what, right? So I think regardless, if you have e-com products, you need to figure out a way to write stuff at scale. This is an actual use where I think AI content has value. Where you know AI is a tool, and I think it's a valuable tool. And I think the the way that Google has approached making it a negative thing is not completely accurate. In this case, if you have a thousand SKU catalog and you write a thousand descriptions that then a human goes back through and edits and makes human and creates sales copy out of it, I think that's the way to approach product description. It's just too expensive to approach manually creating it. So you're really stuck with this. Do I want to have duplicate content on my site or do I want to have AI content that's human edited on my site? And I'm going to say go towards the human edited AI content. Anything to add there, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I've seen that too. There are niches where you get a blurb from the manufacturer and you're literally not allowed to change it. And that's put you between a rock and a hard place. I'd say that's a case where maybe augmenting and finding you know, an expert who can add a, an expert an, a column or an expert opinion yeah, on FA, it. Or an some, FAQ yeah, underneath an F- that blog. Yeah, an, an awesome. FAQ underneath it. Talk to your salespeople. Find out those friction points that doesn't change that product description itself, but augments and provides something unique. You know, whether it's just Bill Skarsgård's birthday, maybe, you know, talking to the biographer of Bill Skarsgård or a biographer, you know, trying to find some unique aspect or angle to add to it and not just putting out the same thing, you know, that's, it's hard and, and at scale. So that's the challenge. 
Yeah, it's tough, especially when it feeds right into your CRM. So, all right. So does Google Search Console show if you have been given an HCU penalty? No, no, and it, it's not going to. <laughs> Specifically, like as a one-word answer from John Mew, no. <laughs> so it's not like the manual penalties back to Panda and Penguin. So there's going to be some good technical SEO and SEO consultants out there handling these penalties when somebody wanders in and has fallen afoul of this and doesn't know why or doesn't understand it. So, All right. So Ryan asks... Do we know of any checklist or analysis tool to determine the quality of the content, perhaps in a similar way that Google's seeing it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch of them out there. We brought up Content Harmony being a really good, I think, piece of software where they're going and looking at the comp competition and then finding from a pure SEO standpoint, at least. But Readable IO and them also deliver on like readable IO will give you overall quality scores and like what reading level things are at. And I think there's work to be done there because it's a very data rich tool. And so then you have to kind of extrapolate what is what does quality mean? That's that's the issue, right? Like what what does quality mean? Is such a human and also like from niche to niche can be wildly different in terms of that. Which, you know, when we're talking about the problems of identifying it for us, those are the same problems Google has identifying it at scale as well. I'd add that Aleda Solis took Google's published piece, which does have a bullet point list of you might, your content might be considered helpful or unhelpful if it does this, this, or this, or it might be considered helpful if you do this, this, and this. She has that in an Excel format. So if you go back to Aleda Solis's Twitter feed, um, I know that she tweeted it out a couple of times. So if you're looking specifically for helpful content and saying, what are the things that you know, Google has said are earmarks, that might be a good way to go. All right. How about, I think we get time for maybe one or two more. How important is authority today in terms of ranking in Google? I mean, I think it's really important today. And I think it's only going to grow in importance long term, right? Because authority has a bunch of different meanings, right? So like there's the eat concept on page where people are like, you know, you need to have an authority person write this content. We're seeing Google, I think, again, we 50% of this webinar has been facilitated by Lily Ray because I'm thinking about <laughs> the pages where she's been looking up things like, you know, best horror writer, right? And you can see Google pulling together entities now with that. So they know authoritatively who the best author, right? I mean, within theory, right? There's a lot, the word best bothers me in general because it's super opinionated. But I think... You know, people that want to argue, well, Google can't tell what an author is or this is. It's like, well, no, Google knows the authority. Back to what Jeremy said in terms of winners from the September update. Google knows what the page, I mean, the domain authority is. They know what the entity's authority is. So it's, it isn't a stretch to think that they're going to use author schema markup to help identify authority on an actual person level. I think beyond that, like... And this is one of those things we're getting really granular in SEO. Let's just think as marketers for a minute, right? When I'm on a page and there's a real person and I can see that they're a doctor and there's quotes from them and they've answered questions, that is going to have a direct impact on usability and somebody converting, right? So our back to what Jeremy said, our only job isn't just to get things ranking and drive traffic. It's to facilitate something once something happens on the page. So can I give you a definitive answer whether having an author 
bio on a page is better or not? No, but I can tell you there's multiple levels of ROI for having a strategy in place to have a subject matter expert involved in your content process, right? All right, let's take one more. Let's see if we get time on for one more. Do you think helpful content signal will change over time? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think in some format or other, I think they, I really feel like they made it super narrow to not disrupt as much as possible, let it mix into the update, see what happens, and then they'll start to trigger it up a little bit. And this is where the AI stuff to me kind of fits in of like, as they figure out more and more what they might deem as unhelpful, they kind of put that into the mix. Again, that's my personal opinion on how they would potentially change it over time. I do believe, yeah, I mean, and I think we'll see that again mixed in with core updates ongoing. Not necessarily, I wouldn't think they'd make it a part of the spam updates because, again, I, you know, I don't know. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? I, I think they have specifically stated it's a machine learning algorithm and that they are absolutely ready and capable of identifying new types of unhelpful content. So I don't think we've seen the last. I think we'll probably would see some sort of additional signaling out of John Moo or Danny Sullivan if at some point they cranked it up to be something really kind of different or helpful content encompassed something that was unique or new. But I, I think we're already seeing it. I think that some of those gears got turned in the hell, in the September update. And I expect it's probably going to be part of those part of those things that gets rolled out on a regular basis. It's machine learning. They're 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 telling us right now that it's it is learning, which right. means it's not static. It's going to change. Perfect. All right, gentlemen. Well, we're basically at the end of time. So tell the people where they can find you after this. Yep. See so copypress.com, you know. We, we also have another webinar coming up with Search Engine Journal in November. <laughs> that topic will be on content analysis overall. So I think it's a great dovetail from where we're talking about now, how to analyze your content. You can also sign up on copypress.com for your own free content analysis through a tool that we've created that then Jeremy will actually be going through how to utilize that on the next webinar. Awesome. All right. Jeremy, do you want to tell them where to find you or just come to the I'm next always webinar? on Twitter at Jeremy Rivera SEO. You can find me any day of the week talking on Twitter, <laughs> SEO stuff and, you know, randomness. So you can always find me there. Perfect. All right, Jeremy, well, we'll see you back here in a month. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Both of you, thanks for joining us today. And everybody out there, thank you for joining us as well. Enjoy the rest of your day. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the CopyPress Content Podcast. Thanks for listening. Visit copypress.com slash podcast to discover more podcast episodes and to learn more about my company, CopyPress. We're leaders in content marketing, and we can help you to build and put in place strong content marketing that works for your company. Join me on the next episode as we share more ideas about how to get better results from your content marketing. And if you'd like me to answer questions about content marketing, SEO, or marketing on a future episode, visit copypress.com slash contact.